Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From 104.7 WHUPLP Hillsboro, this is She and Her. I'm Anita Rao. And I'm Sandra Davidson. Welcome back to She and Her. And uh, Anita, I don't know if you know this, but it is our month anniversary. I do know. It's very exciting. (laughs) So here we are. It's the middle of November. We've, uh, I guess this is our fifth episode and Thanksgiving is right around the corner, which is crazy to me. Um, But of course, that's got us thinking about food and family and of course, home. So we have been friends for six years now, and it seems that we're always heading in different directions for the holidays. Anita, what are you doing next week? Um, So I'm heading to Augusta, Georgia, where my parents have been living since I left college. Uh, And it's always a little weird for me going home for the holidays now because Augusta is definitely not a place that I consider home. Home for me in my mind is still very much where I grew up in Iowa City, Iowa. My friends were just around the corner where all the places that I loved were just a short drive away. And now the place that my parents call home for me is just where my parents live. And I don't really know if Augusta is ever going to grow on me, but I feel really fortunate to still be able to get together with my family, even though it's in a different place. How about you? Well, I am heading back to my home place. Uh, so I grew up in the same community that my mom grew up in, that her family grew up in. Um, we're deeply rooted to Lillington, Harnett County. And we always have the holidays at my parents' house. So uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's always some sort of event at my mom and dad's house. And I think that you even joined one of ours. I did. Before. It was a very elaborate feast. Yes, lots of <laughs> casseroles and pies. Uh I actually remember the very first year that I did not spend Thanksgiving with my family. I was super, super nervous to tell my mom that I wasn't going to be with them because home is a big deal to us. Uh, So it's gotten a little bit easier over time. But, you know, I really actually love going back there. I feel fortunate that I do. Um, As I've gotten older, it's just become sort of a site of retreat and respite for me. When I turn on Johnson Farm Road, which is the road that I grew up on, it's like a weight has suddenly been lifted from my shoulders. I spend a lot of time sleeping at my parents' house, and, you know, I think that is a sign that I'm really comfortable and relaxed, and I love going home. So we each have a pretty different relationship with home, and it's changed a lot um, as we've grown up, and I think a lot of women have the same experience. Loss, divorce, new moves, new jobs, and significant others all shape what and where we call home. So in the spirit of the holidays and everyone getting ready to travel, we wanted to look at what home means to millennial women. 
We asked four different women from four very different backgrounds to reflect on where they call home and why that matters. They recorded audio diaries and sent them to us from all across the globe. So our first story comes from Ashley Johnson, a 24-year-old writer who currently lives in Key West, Florida, and she just so happened to grow up on Johnson Farm Road as well. She and I are cousins, and um, we grew up as neighbors, which in Harnett County means, you know, a mile or so down the road from each other. Ashley, for the last year, has been traveling all over the U.S. She's lived in Key West. She's also lived in Alaska. Her boyfriend is a fisherman, so as he chases the season, she is working on her craft in all these different exotic places. You know, despite all of the traveling she's done in the last year, though, Ashley spent the first 18 years of her life firmly rooted in our small town. Her family's lived on the same place for generations, and her connection to home is very deep. I grew up in a rural community in North Carolina between two households, um, one on a farm on Johnson Farm Road in a town called Lillington, where um, my dad and stepmom, grandparents, and great-grandparents all live around the radius of a pond. The other house, my mom's, house is in Anger, about 10 minutes down the road, and about five minutes down the road from her house, my other grandparents and both of my uncles live around the radius of a different pond. Really, I grew up with a lot of people really close to me. My parents were high school sweethearts, and they were divorced when I was around three years old. It was never that traumatic for me, because they were really great about remaining close um, for my sake. They were both remarried when I was still young. I was an only child, but I got a really wonderful stepsister who's my best friend out of the deal. My mom and dad's families both have roots that go way, way back in, in the area. So I've always had this really clear and deep identification with where I'm from in a sense of of place, I feel lucky to have that. My family, I feel lucky to have that history right where I grew up. I think the time that feeling homesick really, really hit me um, was actually when I had come home home from college my junior year, um, and my family had decided that they had to put my great-grandmother in a nursing home. My great-grandfather hated it and resisted it, but the reality was it was starting to become dangerous for him to take care of her. It's a strange thing to live on the same property as your grandparents and great-grandparents. You know, I think you have a really different relationship with them. They're like your second and third sets of parents. You know, I would could just walk to their house. You know, we, would, we were there every Sunday for lunch the bus um, would pick me up at my great-grandmother's house every morning um, to take me to elementary school. So we had breakfast together every single morning. I learned a lot from her. So to suddenly have one of the women who raised me remove from home and see her in a place where she was relying on others to take care of her almost like a baby was really heartbreaking for me. It opened my eyes definitely to the unique situation of the way I grew up, being so close to so many family members and so many generations. Um, You know, as a person who has always dreaded any sort of change and has really never had to deal with too much of change, 
I just always knew that when I was home, it would be exactly the same. Um, and then for that change to sort of happen, it made me sort of understand, um, that it, it was a special thing and it, you know, wasn't always going to be that way. And so that was a learning process for me. She's still in the nursing home. Um, and I visit her every time I'm home still. Um, it's just different. I think being a millennial woman has absolutely shaped my experience and perspective of home. Um, my great grandmother, for instance, grew up right there in the exact same place that I did on the same land, but she couldn't fathom when I told her I was going to study abroad in South Africa. You know, to her, it was totally out of out of her comfort zone, out of anything she had ever thought of. That you know, a different place that far away. It was so dangerous and something that she really couldn't understand. Um, my mom has never lived anywhere but, but the small town in North Carolina. She didn't go to college and has had the same job since I was born, and I really admire that too. But then the idea of me taking time to travel instead of sort of focusing on a direct career path or something is really foreign to her and the rest of my family. Um, also, the idea of me living with a guy before I'm married is a completely strange thing for them. It's caused tension between us at times, but I think my parents understand that my life's going to be different than theirs, and that's okay. The older I get, the more I experience, the more I appreciate having the opportunities and and a little more freedom without being disowned by my family or, you know, whatever. But at the same time, I've also become so grateful for my upbringing and really have a deep, deep appreciation for the way that I've grown up and for having such a close and supportive family. Ashley Johnson from Willington, reflecting on her relationship with home. Our next story came to us from a friend who lives across the Atlantic Ocean. Dana is 26, and she's called many places home in the past two decades. She was born in Palestine, spent most of her teen years in North Carolina, lived for some time in Rome and New York City, and now she lives in Istanbul. Dana's friends all considered her to be a gracious host and someone who loves sharing her home with other people. But because she's moved all over the world, the process of recreating home everywhere she goes has been a little bit complicated. So my mom is from Burlington, North Carolina, and my dad is Palestinian. I was born in Jerusalem, and I lived in the West Bank in Bejala until I was 13. But because my mom was American and because I went to a British school and because my dad really never talked to me in Arabic... I never really learned the language as well as I should have in that time. So many people, including my own family, think that means I am not a real Palestinian. In fact, I remember um, this one summer when a friend was visiting Palestine and she's Palestinian. Both of her parents are Palestinian uh, 
1948 refugees. So she never had been to Palestine even. And, you know, I was really excited to host her and to show her her country. Um, But I remember I was, you know, going to park the car in Bethlehem with her. And she ended up getting into a conversation with the parking garage attendant. And he basically said I wasn't a real Palestinian. And I understood this because, unfortunately, I know just enough Arabic to understand when someone is, you know, speaking ill of me. And, you know, it stung because it is my home. I grew up there. My whole family's there. I go there every year, at least once a year. I know that country. I just don't know the language that well. So I moved to Denver, North Carolina when I was 12 or 13. And I don't think my identity crisis stopped at all. Um, It was really hard, actually. I moved there with my brother and my mom. My dad stayed behind in Jerusalem because he had the family company to um, watch out for. And we moved into Denver, North Carolina, because my grandmother had a home there. Um, I didn't want to live there. My brother didn't want to live there. We left everything we knew. And we went from going to, to the International School of Jerusalem to going to Pumpkin Center Middle School. And it was definitely not an easy transition. Um, shortly after I moved there, uh, 9-11 happened. And, you know, I was the only Palestinian in the school. I remember I was actually the first person to find out about it, the first student to find out about it. I was called into the office, and I saw the first tower, you know, on fire, and then I saw the plane hit the second tower, and I was like, what is going on? And the principal explained everything and basically told me that they called me into the office because they wanted me to be careful. That they think, you know, that maybe I would be threatened because of what happened. I remember just going to the bathroom after that and just sobbing because I thought that I brought the violence with me. That I was leaving one war zone and coming to another. And I lost a lot of myself when I went to the States. I wasn't as confident as I was when I was in Jerusalem. I, um, you know, I changed the way I dressed. I tried to blend in. I got caught up with, you know, high school life and it's probably this horrible American teenager. So we stayed there until my brother went off to college. And me and my mom moved to Rome to be with my dad. So at this point, we hadn't lived with my father for years. But that year was amazing. That changed everything. My mom and my dad were so happy to be back with each other. Life in Rome was so much easier. It was a place where I felt like I could just be who I am, you know, a Palestinian-American. So 
I look at Rome as my home as well because it really it brought my family back together. It made them happier. It made us stronger. It made us love life again. And then after that, I went to UNC. I remember being completely scared when my mom dropped me off in front of the UL. But to say that I was really homesick in college would be a lie. I I mean, college was the best. You got to go home for long summers. You got to go home for, you know, Christmas. Um, The only time I really remember being homesick was in Thanksgiving. And it's not because Thanksgiving was ever an important holiday in my family. It's just because I saw everybody going home to their families. And, of course, they invited me, but it's just not the same, you know. And so after college, I moved to New York. My college boyfriend was living in New York, and I had a lot of friends in New York, and it's New York. So I moved there. But New York is a particularly intimidating place. It can be inspiring in some ways, but completely soul-crushing in others. It's like this tunnel of creative, brainy arrogance. And I got caught up with that. I I very much developed an urgent need to prove myself. I became hard on myself and burned out. That's when I left and I came to Istanbul. And I decided to join my family's company. My grandfather had started this tourism company basically in the 1930s. And he would bring archaeologists and professors to digs into sites in the Holy Land and it kind of grew into this tour company that my uncle and my father developed and expanded and I decided that I could be part of a legacy that I'm really proud of and I chose that path but I can't say that I know I'm going to be here forever so I haven't really invested in my home here Actually, my apartment's really minimal furniture. It's, you know, it's not very warm and welcoming, which was really weird. I'm sure my, my friends think it's really weird because in college, I, my room was insanely hospitable and warm. It was like, I think one of my friends called it like this opium den, just because there was so many pillows, like more pillows than anyone should own. And I loved that. I loved having that warm space for people to come to. But after moving from New York, having moving here, I realized that home didn't have to be this physical space that's tied to one place, one city. It didn't need to be like that. Like, my ties will always be to... I'll always have a connection to Palestine. But I think more than anything, home is where I can be with my family and we could all be happy together experiences and relationships I think you have to put that first because the other stuff you don't know what's going to happen you don't know if you're always going to be able to live your home live in your home especially the case with Palestinians we don't always know if we don't know if that's going to be taken away from us and I think that will have to do Dana from Istanbul, opening up about her ever-changing relationship with home. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Coming up next, we have Shannon Ross, a 21-year-old from Pembroke, a small town in southeastern North Carolina. Shannon is a member of the Lumbee tribe and a senior at UNC Chapel Hill, where she is, as she puts it, the minority of the minority. Before coming to UNC, Shannon had never felt out of place. Most of her friends, family, and classmates in Pembroke were also Lumbee. Shannon spoke about her struggle to make a home for herself at UNC in a story published by a student newspaper earlier this year that you can find on our website. Today, she reflects on how she grappled with homesickness but ultimately built a home in Chapel Hill. I am Native American. I'm an enrolled member of the Lumbee Tribe of North Carolina. And the Lumbee Tribe is the largest state-recognized tribe east of the Mississippi River. So just a fun fact, when I hear the word home, I really think of the brick house up on the hill with the blue metal roof and the three-bay garage. Growing up, that was what everyone referred to my house as. Oh, you live in the house with the blue metal roof up on the hill. Um, And it's, it's kind of something that has stuck with me. For as long as I can remember, you know, people have been referring to my house as that. And anytime that I'm going home, um, you know, I turn on onto Old Baker Road, which is the road that I live on. And I'm going along and then I see my house up on the left. And there's just this joy that I feel and I automatically think, oh, there's the house on the hill with the blue metal roof. And it's just a great feeling to know like, oh, I'm almost home. I'm almost there. I can see my house. And, you know, knowing that when I get there, my family's going to be inside, especially when I haven't seen them for a while. It's just, it's great. So I have grew up in Pembroke for the majority of my life that I can remember. You know, all of my family is there in Pembroke and the surrounding towns in Robinson County. And Pembroke being where my family is and Pembroke being the main location of the Lumbee people, I feel like it's only right that that is the place, you know, that I call home and Coming to UNC from a town like Pembroke, it was it was really a culture shock. Pembroke is a small town, and in high school, I was really surrounded by people who were just like me. You know, my high school was majority Lumbee. You know, everybody was Native. Everybody had the same views and beliefs. So coming to UNC was, it was so different. You know, UNC is a liberal school, and I was in no way prepared for everything that I was going to have to take in. When I first got here my first year, I didn't I didn't want to stay, you know, I wanted to leave. I was like, oh, you know, I can go to UNC Pembroke and I can stay at home and, you know, I'll be comfortable. Being at UNC is hard, especially as the minority of the minority. Most of us come from small towns and we're not expecting what's going to happen. But I came to realize that a part of my college experience and a part of being at UNC, a part of being a Tar Heel altogether was 
stepping out of that comfort zone and really pushing myself you know to to experience new things and to experience you know life outside of Pembroke North Carolina so you know I found my home at UNC by just becoming involved the first organization that I joined on campus was the Carolina Indian Circle and from that I just became connected with the Native community and not only the Native community I you know I use it as a, a way to meet other people you know being involved with organizations really makes you kind of step out there and talk to people and I'm grateful to the Carolina Indian Circle for, you know, helping me to find that sense of wanting to be involved. And, you know, through that, I found other organizations, and that was the push that I really needed to, you know, make me see that I could I could be a leader on this campus and that, you know, I could, I could lead by example and model the way for Native students who are going to come after me. It also, you know, made me appreciate my home in Pembroke, where my family is, so much more. You know, I just wanted to get out of a small town and I just wanted to experience college and, you know, see what life was like outside of Pembroke. But I didn't realize that once I was gone, you know, I would miss it so much. I took for granted growing up, being surrounded by everybody who was just like me. But while I was there, I didn't realize that I was taking it for granted. I feel that there are so many people who think when you go away to college, and you're from a small town, you're never going to want to go home again, or you're going to think, you know, you're too good for your small hometown, or you outgrew your small hometown. But I, I don't think that's true at all. You know, I want students to know that just because you go off to college does not mean that you don't appreciate your hometown, and it doesn't mean that you can't ever go back. I hope that one day all Native students in high school will know that college is something that they absolutely can do. And it's my goal to model the way in that and, you know, be that example of look at her. She's from Pembroke and she went off to college and she's successful and she made it and she's giving back to her community. I miss being, you know, there and being surrounded by my family and being surrounded by people who share the same culture as me, who who understand me and understand, you know, where I came from. And, you know, how I feel at the end of the day, because at the end of the day, if anyone is going to understand the struggles of a Native woman, it's going to be other Native women. I really don't know where my life will take me. I don't know exactly where I'll end up. But I do hope that once I graduate from UNC, I can continue to work with younger students, hopefully Native students, to encourage college as an obtainable entity. My generation is the generation that that's up next to lead We're up next to, you know, take our Lumbee people to the next level and to reach those goals, you know, that our our ancestors and our elders have laid before us. And so being able to go back home and being able to feel that connection to my hometown, you know, it's just like amazing. And it's great to know that no matter where I go in life, that my family is going to be there and, you know, I can go back. I can go back to the house on the hill with the blue middle roof. I can go back to Old Baker Road. I can go back to Pembroke and visit. I can do whatever I need to do to fill that void that is there when I'm away from home. Shannon Ross from Pembroke, North Carolina. She currently lives in Durham. For our last audio diary, we turned to Monica Palmera in Sacramento, California. 
Monica was the first in her family to be born in the U.S., and she calls a few different places home. There's a small town in Portugal where her parents come from and where her grandmother still lives. There's Kinston, North Carolina, where she was raised and navigated the boundaries of Southern culture. And now there's California, where she's gearing up for a new job in state government and trying to get her bearings. When I hear the word home, I often think of place first. I grew up, what I say is uh, bicultural. Um, I grew up in, in eastern North Carolina in a, in a small town in, in Kinston, North Carolina. Um, but my parents are originally from a small town in the rural northern part of Portugal. And I was fortunate enough to be able to go back every year. I have grandparents that live there to this day. Um, so it wasn't just some abstract home or some abstract, like, this is where my ancestry is, or this is where my family or my ethnicity is. It was a very strong association with place um, and home. Uh, for so long, I thought that North Carolina and Portugal were such different places, but really my where my parents are from is not that different. It's people of, of strong faith. It's people of more traditional um, lifestyles. And, and in a lot of ways, there's this common thread between the two cultures that really kind of um, sort of reinforced each other. So growing up in Kinston was was a really interesting experience. I think that Kinston was a place that actually welcomed my family. People were curious about my parents' background and what it was like to speak a second language. Um, people invested in me, you know, teachers that were there invested in me, community members invested in me. Um, but at the same time, when I was growing up, there weren't that many people who were of immigrant backgrounds. Um, so I didn't know anybody else who was going through what I was going through, which is, you know, sort of being the first in your family to go through education and through this culture um, and having to navigate that as a child. So in some ways it sort of felt like I was on my own. Um, there's a difference between like my association with Kinson and I think, you know, what people of Kinson associate with you. Um, a small town and, and Kinson's an older town, um, you know, has been around for several centuries and is, you know, predates the Revolutionary War. There's families that have been there for a long, long time. And it's, if you're not one of those families, it can be really hard to be legitimately Kinstonian, I guess I would say. And a lot of that is, is tied up in many, many complicated things that we all know about that are themes in the South. It has a lot to do with race. It has a lot to do with money. It has a lot to do with agriculture, um, political power. And I went to school with a lot of those families. I went to a private school. So I was sort of in the thick of some of this political dynamic and had some consciousness about it while I was going through, but certainly not as much uh, while I was there. And I think that was a, an element of self-preservation. I think sometimes we tell ourselves that we are accepted maybe more than we are to, to get us through. Um, going to college was a really interesting experience. And I think that what's really, really interesting in terms of my story is that when I first got to college, I really tried to find myself in my community in people that had a similar home as me or came from a similar place. You know, I was trying to find friendship with people who came from small towns in eastern North Carolina or other places in North Carolina that were more traditional, that had this uh, sort of culture of country clubs and fraternities and sororities, to be completely honest, in this very white culture, because that is what I knew and what I associated with home. But something was off. I just was not finding my way. And it wasn't until 
later in my sophomore year when I started doing some community organizing work um, in a traditionally African-American neighborhood, something I had never done before, that I actually started feeling more at home. And this was with both in the community we were working in, but also with the people that I was around um, in this work. We were all from different places and all of different backgrounds, and we all looked different. And I felt more at home there than I ever had before, um, ever in Kinston, ever even in Portugal, just we were together in our differences and that was good and we could talk about them and we could address them head on and they were valued. We weren't trying to play this game of all trying to be the same. And I think that that was incredibly refreshing and what I had needed all along. I've recently moved to California and for me, California has really been what a lot of people think of when they think of California. So it's been spreading my wings. It's been clean slate. It's been be whoever you want to be, do whatever you want to do. It's such a different place from North Carolina and especially Eastern North Carolina. There's people of all races, all kinds of backgrounds. Um, there's a lot of immigrants here and, and people who have gone through what I have gone through or understand the immigrant experience. And in a lot of ways, I feel like I fit in here better than I ever have anywhere else I've ever been. Um, there's a lot of Portuguese people here. So there are even festivals and, and things that I can go to where people speak the language and, and know where, about my family history and things like that, that that have just been incredible. For me, one big thing I remember is, you know, when people understand what it's like to speak two languages in a home and go in and out of each language without it being a big deal, uh, I've always felt very at home with people who just get that. But I... And in all the wonderful things that California offers, op economic opportunity, cultural opportunity, um, I'm still homesick for North Carolina for sure. There's an identity, and, I, and I, again, I don't mean to gloss over that because there's a lot of um, pain and divide and, and history in, this, in a place like North Carolina and like in the South um, that can keep people really apart. But I do think that there's a common identity that is there that is certainly not here in California. There's an understanding of a way of life and it, I think it has immense power to bring people together. I think sometimes we don't always use that power to come together the ways we, in the ways that we can. Um, but, it's, but it's there, and it's palpable, and it's special, and it's not here in California. And it, and it does make me homesick, um, I think, for, for spiritual reasons. Um, but yeah, I, I, definitely, um, I definitely miss that. And it, it does make me think about where I want to establish home as on a more permanent level. What is it that I'm looking for? It's also like um, I'm, I'm getting ready to go work for the state of California. And a big, big part of me is telling me in my gut and in my heart, why am I going to go into public service in a state that didn't contribute that much to my development and to my values and to my success, really? Um, you know, if, if I'm doing this, I should be doing it in North Carolina, a place that did so much for me. Um, I do feel some regret at, at not being in the place that has done so much for me. Everything that I am and all of the values that I carry forth come from being from Kinston. But I do think about circling back in the long term or in the long run and being able to contribute. I think that we are of a generation that has a lot more opportunity. You know, women nowadays don't need to have certain ducks in a row in order to establish home or to establish a family. And that's great. You know, like me, a lot of women, I think, have many different homes um, and see many places as their home. 
And I think that's a good thing. If we're going to move forward and, and if we're going to try to break down some of the barriers that I think isolate people and, and, and hinder people from understanding other people's experiences, it's really, really important that we think about home as a very flexible concept. But I think that as long as we think about home as a feeling more than a, a structure or a, a so specific of a place, it will help us break down some of the walls that hinder us from moving forward. That being said, though, I do think it's important to have a deep sense of who you are and where you come from. I, I worked with a, an amazing woman named Marion Jackson who, who once said, you, you, you can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And I think that that will never stop being true. was Monica Palmera from Sacramento, California. We want to extend a big thank you to all of our diarists for their thoughtful contributions for this week's episode. So as always, we closed out the live portion of our program with music. Ashley, Dana, Monica, and Shannon all submitted songs that they love and that remind them of home in some small way. You can find that on our Spotify playlist, She Plus Her. We want to thank you all so much for listening and encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at She and Her Radio and share our show with your friends. She and Her is broadcast every Thursday at 6 p.m. on 104.7 WHUP. You can stream us live at whupfm.org and subscribe to our podcast, please, on iTunes and SoundCloud. And She and Her is written and produced by myself and Anita Rao. Our theme music is done by Cameron Laws and Sam Gerwick. And have a great holiday. We'll be back with you in two weeks. And we look forward to connecting with you all when we're back. Have a great Thanksgiving.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.